All right, friends. Pastor Josh, uh, our pastor of preaching and vision, is continuing on in our series, More Than a Manger. Uh, We've been walking through Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4 over the past number of weeks. And so I'm going to read it for us again today. Uh, So open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have one, there's one in the seat rack in front of you. We're going to be on page 581 in that Bible. And listen, if you don't have a Bible at home or you don't have one that kind of makes sense to you and it's maybe in a little bit older style English and you'd really like one, man, that Bible is yours. Take that Bible, put your name in it. It is our gift to you. We'd love for those to walk out the door. We have many to replace those with. And so that is our gift to you. Because we believe here at Flourishing Grace that this is God's word, it is his gift to us and that we submit to it, would you please stand as I read Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. Isaiah says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Awesome. Thanks, Benjur. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are we? Yep, yep, good. It's good. It's good to be back with you guys this morning. Uh, I took a couple weeks off of preaching to uh, swing a hammer in the nursery, and now that's done, uh, we can get back after it. And I'm excited to be uh, back uh, preaching this morning and for this uh, part of our text in Isaiah 61. And, and what I want to talk about this morning is something I, mean, I see all the time. I see people who struggle to just find motivation uh, in, in life. And I don't know if that's you. Have you ever I mean, struggled to kind of figure out what, what drives you, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what, what gets you excited and fired up in life as we enter into the, the new year. Everybody's thinking, man, what are my New Year's resolutions going to be? And you have this temporary motivation, and for all of us, that motivation kind of just begins to peter out uh, shortly. And, and what is it that, that drives human beings to, to just live, to just be and uh, man, this is something that psychologists have, uh, and psychiatrists have studied for, man, decades upon decades upon decades upon decades. Man, what is it that drives us? There's a famous uh, psychologist, Viktor Frankl, right? He was an Austrian psychologist and uh, a Jewish man who was uh, placed in a concentration camp uh, dur- during uh, World War II uh, in Germany. He was in a concentration in the 90s, late 90s. Um, and so he survives his time in the concentration camp. And while he's there, man, he's processing, man, what is it, as I look at all my Jewish brothers and sisters in this camp, and what is driving them? What, what is giving them the will to live? And he kind of created, he kind of realized that, that psychology had gotten this wrong. I mean, I mean, the people who had gone before him, uh, guys like Freud, guys like Adler, right, they didn't, they missed it. Because they could never actually live the way that he lived. Freud said, and what drives human beings is the pursuit of pleasure. 
right? That's what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's what motivates you. That's what makes you go. I mean, you, you want to be happy. You want to be fulfilled. You want pleasure in your life. That's what makes you do the things you do. There's an element of truth to that, but that's not our deepest driver. Uh, Adler said it's the pursuit of power, right? You want to be in control. And so I mean, you, you're constantly fighting to have power in your life and to, to not be in a place of vulnerability. You want to be in a place of strength. And it does drive us, but it's not our deepest driver. And uh, Frankel realizes this. What he, what he realizes means like, I'm going to not take concentration camp, but I still have the will to live. I don't have any power. Like, literally, I'm malnourished to the point of near death. Um, I'm surrounded by armed guards. I have no hope of escape. I have zero power. I have zero pursuit of power. I can't even fathom power, but yet I still have a drive to live. I don't have any pleasure. I'm sleeping on the dirt, and I'm not eating anything that's worth eating. I have no, there's no pleasure in my life. I'm freezing cold. I have nothing, I have, there's, there's zero pleasure in my life. And yet I still have the will to live. So what's driving me? And what's driving all of my fellow Jews? What, what is driving us in this place? And he, he determined, this is what it is, it's meaning. There's something more to life. Than power. There's something more to life than pleasure. There's a deeper meaning, a purpose for my life. And, and what happens, and we, and we know this, we, we all crave meaning, we crave significance, we crave power. And so we, we tell the next generation, you got to go find your purpose in life. This is like literally every like Disney modern princess movie where the, they have to go like leave the castle to go find their purpose out there somewhere in the world. Go find what you are meant to do and what you are meant to be. And so we, we find something that gives us purpose, right? And maybe that's um, man finding uh, the perfect spouse or having a family or excelling in your career. And all of these things are good things. But if that's your ultimate purpose in life, be careful because they're fragile things. They're all fragile things. And your kids can get sick. And I don't mean like common cold sick. I mean like deathly ill sick. They might not be around as long as you want them to be around. Your kids can fail. Your kids can abandon you. Mr. Right or Mrs. Right might turn out to be Mr. or Mrs. Wrong. You realize everything you were banking on is now broken. Your boss calls you on a Friday and you don't have a job on Monday. And that thing that you found your purpose in, that was driving you and getting you out of bed in the morning, it's gone. It's broken, it's snapped, it's fractured. And you've lost your purpose. You've lost your will. You've lost your drive. You're no longer motivated. You're just in a state of depression and anxiety and stress. And I know that many of us in this room have actually tasted that. We've been there. We've, we derived our core purpose from something, and it broke. And what I want to make the case this morning is this, is that there's actually a source of indestructible purpose. There's a, there, there's a source of indestructible purpose in your life. It's right here in Isaiah 61, and it's in the coming of the Messiah and the work that he's going to do from the manger and beyond. From the manger and the cross, God is giving us a greater purpose in life, and it's a purpose that is indestructible. It will never snap. It will never break. It will never let you down. There's a greater purpose, a greater meaning to your life, and you can find it in Christ. And before we get into this, I, I want to make this really clear. What we're doing this morning is we're actually skipping ahead in this Isaiah text. So if you're following along, we're going to be in the, in the second part of verse 3 and in verse 4 this morning. And we're skipping the first part of verse 3. 
You say, well, why would we skip that? I thought we are preaching through this kind of section by section, line by line, verse by verse. Here's why. That first part of verse 3 is gold, baby. All right? It's just the sweetest of sweet text in the entire Bible. It's awesome. And so I know a lot of you guys are bringing friends and neighbors and coworkers, family members who don't know Jesus at Christmas Eve. We're saving that one for them. All right? It's just next week's going to be lit. It's going to be so fun. I cannot wait to preach on Christmas Eve. It's going to be so good. Okay? It's going to be lit, man. What? That's what the kids say these days. Fire. Maybe it's going to be busting next week. All right. But for today, for today, we're going to be looking at that second part of verse 3 and verse 4. But before we get to it, let me pray for us and pray for myself because it seems like as though I need it this morning. Jesus, we come before you, and men, I know you have a great meaning and purpose and significance you want to ascribe to our lives And yet so often we fail to live into that. We fail to make that our primary source of meaning. We exchange it for lesser things. How foolish we are. And so would you make us wise this morning? Would you open our eyes and give us wisdom? Pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Jesus came not only to save you, but to empower you for the great work of his glory, friends. Jesus has an indestructible purpose for your life, but it must become your true purpose. You can't just say this is my purpose. It actually has to be your purpose. You must adopt it and derive your significance from it, and it will never break. It will not break. For those of you who are note takers this morning, I have three things for you. The first is this, the one in the manger, the one in the manger has a high and holy calling for your life. The one in the manger has a high and holy calling for your life. We see this in verse four, verse four, if you're following along in that Isaiah text, it reads this way. It says, they, they shall build up ancient ruins. They, they shall raise up former devastations. They, they shall repair the ruined cities. They, who is they? If you've been following along as we've been preaching through this text, you know it begins in verse 1, where the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. It starts off in this first person text where Jesus is prophesying of himself what he is going to be like, what he is going to do. And somewhere along the way, it shifts to the third person. That shift takes place at the beginning of verse 3, and we're saving that one for next Sunday because it's the money text, okay? We're going to put that away for a minute. And now we're talking about they, a different people. Who is they? They are the redeemed ones. They are the saved. They are the ones who have declared him king of all. They've looked into the manger and they say, that's the king of kings. They have reordered their lives around his rule and reign. They belong to him. They are a new creation in Christ. They have a high and holy calling. They are the ones who are going to build up ancient ruins and former devastations. They are going to repair the ruined cities. They have a high and holy calling on their life. They are those who are in Christ, who have been saved by him and redeemed by him and restored by him. And I know that's not everybody in this room. I know it's not everybody in this room, but man, I want you to see the sweetness and goodness in Christ this morning. Not only has he saved you, but he's given you a purpose and a meaning. He's not just saved you from something, he's saved you to something. There's something for you in this life. 
Paul talks about this famously in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I'll read the whole thing for us. It reads this way. Paul says this. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Right? You once were a normal human being with your normal flesh, your normal things that humans do, your normal failures, your normal sin, but no longer. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're transformed from the inside out. The Spirit of the living God is living in you. I'm, you're not a normal human being. You're not normal anymore. No longer. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who, listen, through Christ reconciled us to himself. He saved us. It was a reconciliation, a restoring of what we had broken, our sin had broken. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's a task, there's a purpose, there's a meaning to your life, a calling. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the, the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them. He was saving them and restoring what they had broken and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, calling on your life. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He has not only saved you from something, he saved you to something. If you are in Christ this morning, Christ has reconciled you to God. The, the relationship that was fractured and broken by sin has been restored, has been reconciled. God made the one in the manger to become sin. He knew no sin, but he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. But there's more than that. There's more than just a saving from something. There's a saving to something. You have a high and holy calling on your life. In becoming the righteousness of God, you and I were given the ministry of reconciliation. You were given a job. You were given a task. You were given a ministry. You are the overseer of a ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. You're an ambassador of Christ. So let me ask you, how many hours did you put into that this week? If that's your primary calling, that's the high and holy calling on your life, that's the task that God has given you. How much time are we spending on that this week? You're putting 40, 50, 60 hours into your career. How much time are you putting into the greatest calling in your life? As a minister of reconciliation, God is making his appeal through you. How many appeals were made this week on behalf of Christ and his completed work on the cross? I mean, we are ministers of reconciliation. Reconciliation, dictionary definition, what is this? It refers to the restoration of fractured relationships. It's, it's the rebuilding, the restoring of fractured relationships by overcoming grief and pain and anger. It is the rebuilding what we have broken, the restoring what sin has damaged in our lives between us and Family members, between us and friends, between us and coworkers, between us and neighbors. It's the righting of the wrong. It's important that we understand this. Many, many, many people, good people, Christians, lovers of Jesus don't understand this. We understand confession and we understand repentance. Reconciliation is often confused. We practice confession all of the time. All the time, every single Sunday in here, we carve out time in our gathering for confession between us and God. But you do this in your life all the time, right? All the time, uh, we say, man, listen, 
sorry about that. Like, I, that thing that I did the other day, I shouldn't have done it. The thing that I said over here, I, I shouldn't have said that. And I'm sorry about that. Anybody say sorry about anything this week in their life? Sorry to your spouse. Sorry to, yeah, we do this all the time. Like, we, we're, we're really good at it. We're, we are. I mean, I know there are people who never apologize. But like, that's not most people. Most of you are apologetic when you see something, you see you did something wrong. There it is. There's my sin. It's right there. And I'm sorry for that. And it might be as simple as saying, I'm sorry for that. It might be deeper. It might be more profound. Hey, listen, man, I, I did this thing, and I, here's my sin. But listen, it's deeper than that. I've been thinking some things that just aren't true of you. I've been harboring this for a while. And I need you to know that. I'm sorry for it. It might be a little bit deeper. But we're good at this. What we're not good at is the hard and messy work of reconciliation. We think that that's the end. And confession and reconciliation are not the same thing. Confession is just the beginning. Reconciliation is the long work of restoring what we've broken. What we do is we break it and we say, there it is, it's broken, sorry about that. Now let's just sweep it over there and move on. Just sweep it on. Like, we're good, right? Like, we, I said, I'm sorry. We're good, right? We're good. Yeah, we're good. All right, let's just sweep, 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 and let's move on with life. And nothing's been restored. Nothing's been fixed. Nothing's been reconciled. It's like, man, you have a, a little pain in your side or a little something's not going right in your body, and you're like, ah, oh, I better go to the doctor. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that next week. I'll, I'll figure that out. Or the check engine light comes on in your car, and you're like, oh, well, I'll have some time next week. And then next week rolls around. You're like, well, it's still running. It's getting me from point A to point B. It's probably nothing, right? It's just a, probably something small. No, no big deal, right? There's a little water spot in the ceiling. And like, oh, I should probably call a roofer about that. Um, but a week later, you didn't do it. And it hasn't really gotten any bigger. So it's probably fine, right? Not to mention it hasn't rained in the past week. But it's no, it's no big deal, right? Anybody ever maybe put something off a little bit? Let me ask you a simple question. Has it ever gotten any better? It doesn't get better. It never gets better. Nine times out of ten, it's going to get worse. And our relationships are no different. Our sin is no different, man. When you sin against your spouse, when you sin against your friend, when you sin against your neighbor, your coworker, and you can apologize. You can say, there it is. There's the water spot. There's the check engine light. There it is. Sorry about that. We see it. We acknowledge it. Let's just sweep it under the rug. And some of us have a pile of rubble behind us, broken relationships that we've just swept away. We acknowledge it. There it is. I see it. Now let's just move on with life. And none of it's ever been restored. None of it's ever, ever been actually fixed, rebuilt, replaced, and repaired. People have a low view of you because you've broken and fractured the relationship. They don't see you in the same light anymore. Yeah, you apologized. Yeah, you moved on. But nothing's actually been fixed. Reconciliation is the rebuilding. It's the restoring of what has been broken. Look at verse 4 again with me. It'll be up here on the screen. It says, they shall what? Build up. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall what? Are we tracking? Listen, are you guys with me? They shall repair the ruined cities. This is building language. It's construction language. But it's not talking about a physical place. 
It's not talking about an actual building. It's not talking about walls. It's talking about the effects of sin. It's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. It's the restoring of what sin has broken. And I'm pounding this. You've got to understand this this morning. Because if you don't, if you cannot be one who reconciles in your own relationships here in this place, here on this earth, in your own family, in your own office, you will fail in the ministry of reconciliation because no one's going to listen to you. If you want to live into the high and holy calling that God has placed on your life, of declaring the reconciling work of God with all of humanity, no one's going to listen to you if you are one who cannot reconcile your own sin. Reconciling our own sin is a much easier task, but you've lost your credibility. If you are comfortable sweeping sin under the rug, everybody looks at you and says, what are you talking about reconciliation? You don't know anything about that. I'm not going to allow some amateur to come do some construction on my house. We're talking about rebuilding people's lives from the ground up. And somebody who's not skilled is not going to get into my house and start working on my plumbing. They're just going to jack it up. I'm looking for trustworthy people who take reconciliation seriously to begin to speak into my life about reconciling with God. We're tracking. Are we understanding what I'm saying? One person. Listen, God's great desire is to reconcile with the world, and the calling on your life is to make this known. We are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. But if you have sin in your life that you have not reconciled, you are the saltless salt. You're the light that's gone out. No one is listening. No one wants it from you. And there are relationships in our lives that have been broken by us, by our sin. And they said something to you and you piped back and, you, and your words cut. And it broke down. You kicked over the wall. You kicked in the door. You broke it down. And maybe you apologized. Maybe you acknowledged it. But you never fixed it. And my challenge, man, I want you, I want you to consider this morning. And it, it, I know you haven't forgotten about it. I know you can turn around and you can see it right there. I know the taper plays in your mind again and again and again. You know the person. You know the name. You know the argument. You know the situation. And I'm imploring you. If you want to find the deepest purpose in your life, you've got to take that more seriously. You've got to step back. You've got to wade back into your sin and reengage what you've broken in order to rebuild it, in order to become salt that people actually want to taste a light that people actually want to see illuminate the beautiful reconciling work of Jesus. Here's the good news. Second thing I want you to see this morning. The one in the manger strengthens you for that calling. He strengthens you for the calling. You have what it takes to engage in the ministry of reconciliation in your own personal lives because Christ has given it to you. He's given you what it takes. He's strengthening you for that calling. At the end of verse 3 in Isaiah 61, it says this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. If you are in Christ this morning, you're an oak of righteousness. 
You were once withering on the vine. You now have the ability to be reformed by the Spirit of God into an oak of righteousness, to be transformed, to let your mind and your soul be renewed by the Spirit of God. Abide in the vine of Christ and experience the power of the mighty oak. It's who you are in Christ. You are no longer withering away by sin. And the Spirit of the living God is at work within you. You once, men, I once, men, was wicked and depraved in my sin. I've been pulled out of that by the Spirit of God, and the blood of Christ on the cross. And now, man, I'm filled with the Spirit. And I can walk around as an oak of righteousness. I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 1. He talks about the wicked and the righteous. He says, the righteous one, he, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Jesus came to repair and replant your life. You are no longer a weak and rotting branch, but have been replanted and empowered with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We have this ability by the blood of Jesus to draw near and to be transformed. We do not walk as defeated men and women, but rather as men and women who worship a God who has come for them, a God who loves them, and a God who empowers them. We are empowered to be reconcilers. We have been freed from our sin and empowered to walk boldly in a broken world. I, I don't need to be ashamed of my sin anymore. I'm an oak of righteousness. I can now, with boldness, I can wade into my sin. And, I, and there's moments in my life regularly where the old self takes over. And I forget who I am. And, and, I, allow, and I allow the effects of sin to break relationships in my, in my life. My wife will say something, and I'm grouchy, and I'm tired, and I'll cut back, and I'll say something I shouldn't say. And if I was a weak, withering branch, I would cower at that. And I'd say, man, I can't rebuild that. I can't restore that. I can't fix that. That's not who I am anymore. Because I've been transformed into an oak of righteousness, I can wade right back into that sin. I can look her in the eye and say, man, that's not who I am. I'm sorry for that. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make right what I've made wrong between you and I. Man, when something goes on with me and a, and a coworker or me and a friend or you and somebody in your life, man, if you are in Christ, the Spirit of the living God is in you. You have the strength to wade back into what you have broken and rebuild it. Not just acknowledge it and sweep it on the rug, but to actually engage in the work of rebuilding what has been broken. You're empowered for that work. You're empowered for that work. And yet I see so many Christians walking around defeated. I wonder how can this be? Defeated in their marriage and defeated as a mom, defeated by their sin, defeated in their pursuit of worldly success. I, I know that in Christ we're more than conquerors. Romans 8 tells me that. And yet we walk around so defeated and so sorrowful. And I was like, how can this be? I'll give you two things real quick. Number one, we allow the world to define what makes us an oak, what makes us strong, what makes us significant, what gives us purpose, right? What makes you strong? You want to be an oak, you got to be a great mom. That's how you become an oak. All right, that's how you become an oak. And so, man, if you're failing as a mom, you're weak. 
and you're withering. You want to become an oak, you got to succeed in your career. You're not doing well at work, you're not an oak. You're not strong, you're not mighty, unless you're doing the things at work. We allow the world to define what makes us an oak, rather than allowing the Spirit of God and the blood of Christ to define what makes us an oak. Jesus makes you who you are. Number two, we, we allow sin to just fester and continue to rot away at us. I mean, you, you've been formed in an oak, but we, 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 we sweep that sin underneath the rug. We, we don't want to reconcile it with our, with our friend or with our family member. And we just say, man, I'm just not going to engage in that. And he begins to rot, bring rot back into your life. And the longer you wait, the worse it becomes. Because the next thing you're not going to deal with any better. And the next thing you're not going to deal with any better. And the next thing you're not going to deal with any better. And you are withering on the branch. You're rotting away because you've allowed sin to rule and reign in your life and in your relationships. You have not taken reconciliation seriously. You've not done the hard work that you've been empowered to do by the blood of Christ. You've forgotten who you are. It's like the movie The Lion King. Anybody ever seen the movie Lion King? Everybody's seen the movie Lion King. That's why this is an easy illustration. Right? Simba, right? Simba thinks that his sin has caused the death of his father. Doesn't get much worse, worse than that. But what's his response? What's his response? He leaves, sweeps it away, runs away. Akuna Matata, get some new friends, a new place to live. No worries, baby. We're okay. Like, I just forget about it and move on with my life. I don't need that garbage in my life anymore. We just move on. And this is what the world teaches us to do. Get that person out of your life. Yeah, so what if you were the person that did the wronging? You don't need to re-engage in that. Just cut them out of your life and move on. Just move on with life. This is what Simba does. He runs away until that crazy monkey Rafiki shows up, right? And Rafiki leads him to the water. And he has this vision of his dad, right? Mufasa, James Earl Jones. And what does his dad say to him? Simba, you must remember who you are, right? <laughs> Come on, right? That's what he says. You got to remember who you are. You are the king of the jungle. You have a high and holy calling on your life. What are you doing running away, man? Your entire pride is being destroyed. Everything that you are set over is being destroyed because you are a weak little boy. Remember who you are. You're an oak of righteousness, and the world depends on it. You've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Remember who you are. You've been saved by the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Do you remember who you are? The Spirit of the living God is empowering you right now. Do you remember who you are? You're not weak anymore, man. You've grown up in the Spirit of God. You are strong. You're an oak of righteousness. It's time to get back into the game. Go defend what you've been called to defend. Go fight for what you've been called to fight for. You've got to remember who you are. You are an oak of righteousness. That's not your own doing. That's the doing of the blood of Christ. He has transformed who you are into a mighty oak. You have the power to wade into your own sin, and you have the power to declare his mighty work. You have a high and holy calling on your life to build up the ancient ruins, to raise up the former devastations, to repair the ruined cities. The things that have been broken for generations are now being restored by the church. That is the work of the empowered people of God. He's empowered you for that work. Last thing, friends, is this. The one in the manger has already done all the hard parts. 
He's already done the hard part. The ministry of reconciliation is simply declaring. It's a declaration of what the one in the manger, Jesus, has already done. That's all we're doing. We're declaring what he's already done. You cannot achieve reconciliation with God. When I sin against someone in my life, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, it's on me as the sinner to go seek reconciliation with that person. I, I, it's been, the roles have been reversed so many times. I've done it, you've done it. Where, man, as a good Christian, as a, as a person who takes reconciliation seriously, somebody sins against you and you chase after them. Let's make this right. Let's fix this. I, I, I want to make this right. And I've watched and I've participated. I've been hurt so many times in that pursuit. And I've watched other people get crushed in that pursuit. Because if the person who did the sinning isn't ready to engage in reconciliation, nothing gets rebuilt. You cannot rebuild what they have broken. You cannot do it. And so here's what you got to understand. Who broke what is broken between you and God? Not a true question. And one more than one person in the room has to answer me. Yeah, you did. I did. We did. We broke our sin broke and fractured our relationship with God. And so who is it on to fix that? It's on us. But guess what? You can't fix it, baby. There is no possible way you will restore what you have broken between you and the almighty God of all things. You are not that good. And I have watched people get crushed underneath the weight of that again and again and again and again and again and again. I mean, I can fix this. I will, I will earn God's favor. I will get God to like me again. He will smile upon me. I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to obey all the rules. And I'm going to do all. Everything's going to be fine between me and God. And they, and they get crushed underneath the weight of that because you can't do it. Your most righteous deeds are as filthy rags before him. There is no hope for you to ever find your own path to restoration between you and God. You will never reconcile what you have broken with God. You can not do it. So why we need grace. But the problem is still there. Who is it on? Whose responsibility is it? It's yours. You're the sinner. God's not the sinner. So how is he going to fix it? How's he going to re reconcile it? He can't just sweep it under the rug and be like, yeah, we're good. How's he going to do it? Friends, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He had to become sin in order to restore the sinful. He had to become broken in order to rebuild you. He had to take your place. It's the only way he could do it. He couldn't fix it unless he stepped in and became lowly beneath you. This is why he's born in a manger. This is why he was raised in poverty. This is why he bleeds the ground red on the cross. The Holy One had to become sin for you. He never sinned. He just took your sin on himself. 
the, the perfect one had to be broken and fractured so that you, the broken one, might be restored to righteousness. This is what Jesus has done for us. He became broken so that you might be made whole. The one who knew no sin became sin for you. He is restored. He has brought reconciliation for us. This is our message to the world. As ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors of Christ, we declare that he has already done the work. We're simply saying, hey, friends, free restoration over here. Right? Like this, everything that you want to be fixed in your life has already been fixed and it's on offer. All you have to do is come get it. Now, everything you destroyed has been restored right over here. Every, every effect of your sin that has brought ruin into your life, it's all been made right over here by the blood of Christ. There's a mansion that's been rebuilt over here. Come and enjoy it. Come and live into it. Come become transformed by it into an oak of righteousness. And so, friends, I know as we enter into this holiday season, two things are true. Number one, and you're going to be around some people probably in the next week or so, um, where sin has destroyed some things between you and them. Maybe they said something. Maybe they started it, but you finished it, all right? You piped back. You cut deep. You swung hard. And I'm imploring you as your pastor, man, if you are in Christ, you need to take the reconciling of that relationship seriously. If you want any hope of being the light in their world and the salt that they want to enjoy, we must restore what our sin has broken between our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members. Got to take that seriously. We got to wade into that. And you're empowered to do it. You are an oak of righteousness. Cling to the Holy Spirit in your life. Be filled, be stirred with him and re-engage in that sin. Go unearth it. Pick up brick after brick and restore what your sin has broken. But then you got people in your life that need the ministry of reconciliation. And you are that minister. There's people in your life that don't know Jesus. People that you sit by every single day at work. You see them every single day in your neighborhood. Man, I tell, I've told you, I'm saving the best of this for next week, baby. The best is coming. And so may, maybe you need to engage with them. It's, there's never an easier time than Christmas. It's like, come with me, man. Come with me on Christmas Eve. I'm attending the 5 o'clock gathering. You should come. We're going to sing some carols. We're going to light some candles. We're going to talk about Jesus. It's going to be amazing. Come with me. And let's proclaim that Jesus has already done the work. It's already finished. He's already reconciled everything there is to reconcile. We just come crawling to him. And he says, look what I've done for you. Let's bow our heads.